Good morning, church. It's good to see you all. It is Advent season. I really appreciate Shane. He is, we spent a couple months talking about new elder candidates, and uh, then we had an ordination service, and Shane is one of our two new elders. Jason Zeta led our elder prayer time last Sunday, and Shane today. So if you haven't had a chance to meet Shane, he is one of the elders here at Solid Rock Church. Excited to have him uh, on board. A uh, couple of just uh, quick announcements I want to make, uh, important announcements, but um, we won't spend too much time here. So we let you know back in September uh, that Jason Martin, our worship minister, would be stepping down at the end of the year, and we're almost to the end of the year, and so I want to give you an update on that. Uh, he is. Next Sunday will be his last Sunday in the official capacity of our worship minister, and so I wanted to be sure and clarify, because when I first announced that as Jason, some of you thought I was speaking in the third person and that I was stepping down. It's not me. It's the guy who was just here with the guitar, with the beautiful voice, who's been leading us in worship now for over eight years, um, is going to to move to a new chapter in his life where he's investing in his family. We're excited about that. He's not going anywhere. He's just not going to be serving in this role. Uh, But then the following Sunday, on the 17th, uh, Jennifer Henderson, who has been leading a lot here lately, will be stepping in as our interim worship minister to take the reins uh, and take the baton into next year um, as we continue the search for whoever God has for us as a church. So I want to give you that update. And, uh, and yeah, so this is the first Sunday of Advent. If you don't know what that means, you just know it has something to do with Christmas. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and explain that. I think it's helpful. Uh, the word Advent essentially means arrival. Okay, so as we celebrate um, the arrival of Jesus through his birth, this is, in, this is the beginning of the Advent season. Um, Advent is usually the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. So after today, we'll have three more Sundays. We'll finish the last Advent Sunday. will be Christmas Eve. That is on a Sunday this year. So we won't have morning services that particular Sunday. Okay, we'll remind you again, but we won't have morning services on that Sunday. We will have a four o'clock service that afternoon Uh, Just one service for the whole church to come together uh, to celebrate and to uh, just to remember what Christmas is about before we roll right into our family celebrations and all the other things that are happening, okay? So just remember that, Christmas Eve, 4 o'clock in here. All right, so we are going to essentially spend the Advent season looking at this Isaiah 9, 6 passage that Shane just read. Okay, so I'm going to read it again. This passage will outline all four of the Sundays. Uh, It begins with this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so we'll essentially spend four Sundays unpacking that one verse. Uh, In a minute, we'll move on to this first uh, description or title of Wonderful Counselor, but I want to start with some background to kind of understand why we're going to spend so much time in one verse. So this comes from Isaiah, who was a prophet. The Old Testament is full of prophecies, predictions, and, and, and setting expectations for what is to come. And if you look at all of these promises, all these prophecies, they're essentially all aimed at one person, 
Jesus, this son of God who would be born in Bethlehem in a manger to a virgin and all the beautiful Christmas descriptions that we know about this Jesus. We know these things because of what the Old Testament tells us. Now, among the Old Testament prophets, um, Isaiah uh, gives us some of the most vivid predictions and prophecies around the birth of Jesus. And so Isaiah, when we get to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, is now describing for the nation of Israel what to expect when the Messiah comes. Okay, so all these promises and predictions, be on alert, be on the lookout, here's what to expect. Isaiah is doing that now, and he's saying in verse 9, or excuse me, verse 6 of chapter 9, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. So, Whatever the Messiah looks like and whatever the Messiah comes to do, he will first come to us as a child. He won't show up as a grown adult um, leading an army or a political movement. He will first come to us as a child, as a son. And as the narrative of Jesus' birth unfolds, we see that the Son of God is born also as the Son of Man. He's born to Joseph and to Mary. And so this Messiah then is coming to do some things. And so the rest of verse 6 is telling us what this baby is going to do by his titles when he shows up at the first advent. And here's the description. He will be called a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, and a prince of peace. And so today we're really going to focus in on this wonderful counselor part of this prophecy one of the things we want to note here is this is that not only will this messiah come as a child come to us as a son but the government shall be upon his shoulder and that hebrew word government is not necessarily like a political description Um, it's the idea of like dominion and rule and uh, kingdom and so the kingdom of man will be upon the shoulders of this baby, this child, if you think of it that way. Or if you go back to Genesis chapter uh, 1, Adam was told, uh, hey, be fruitful and multiply, and go and subdue the earth, have dominion in the earth. And, And so now here God is sending his son to shoulder that burden, the burden of man. Now, what, before we get into this idea of wonderful counselor, I want to first talk about our need for Jesus to be this. Um, in the modern day context, we talk about counseling, we talk about a counselor, and most of us think that that title, that role, is just really reserved for special cases. Like, some people need counseling, some people need a counselor, but I'm good. Right? So some of you sitting here today, like, I'm glad there are counselors. I'm glad people do that. My wife sure needs it, but I'm good. My kids need it, but thank God I'm fine. And so I want to start with the need. I was actually in a um, teaching a class here um, this past fall for our Restore ministry and was with a group of people, um, a group of our members, just talking through um, our need for counseling and care and restoration and repair. And I was kind of walking through how trauma works that, you know, as humans, we're all born into a fallen world. Okay, so the world's broken. 
Okay, and so as, as you entered into this world, you entered into a war zone in which you were going to inevitably encounter suffering. You cannot live the human experience and not encounter suffering because the world is broken. So even if you were this perfect little child born to these perfect parents, you still would have encountered suffering. And suffering that creates wounds that, that goes unattended to or, or not healed uh, is, is what we call trauma, okay? Now, but the reality is that you were actually born as a fallen human with a sin nature. And you were born under the care of parents who were fallen with a sin nature. And so you didn't get everything you needed. I mean, even if you had had the best parents in the world, they still wouldn't have been enough because they had needs too. Okay, and so really all of humanity, I was in this class teaching this, and one of our members kind of raised their hands like, okay, let me make sure I'm getting this straight. Are you saying that every person has some form of trauma in their story? I'm like, yes, that is theologically true. Every human is going to encounter suffering and therefore have a need to be healed, to be cared for, to be tended to. Every human needs counseling. Now, there were different forms of counseling. You were born in this world, you needed counseling from your parents. You need your parents to be there with you and for you and speak things to you that moved you towards healing. And hopefully you had parents that did that, but there were also times where your parents wounded you with their words. Hopefully you have friends who've been able to be a counselor to you, and hopefully you have a relationship with a spiritual mentor or leader, a pastor, a community group leader, or somebody in the faith you can look up to who's been a, a counselor to you, and, and God forbid you be one of the few of us who are really broken, you actually have a counselor, and you go to counseling. We all have need to be helped. So I want to just read a, a quick definition of, of a counselor, the way I'm using the word. A counselor is an outside voice and perspective that is for our good, who can see things in us we can't see, and who loves us enough to help us see those things in order that we might become more of who God has designed and called us to be. So here's the thing. Here's why all of us need a counselor. There are things in your life you can't see. And competency has nothing to do with it. You were created and designed to live in community with others. And part of that community is, is, is being with one another. Sharing with one another. Helping one another see things. And so now we read this beautiful Christmas Bible verse. That unto us a child is given, unto us a son is born. The government shall be upon his shoulder. And he will be called what? A wonderful counselor. Because all of humanity needs a wonderful counselor. thinking about how this works and how Jesus is a counselor unto us, I want you to think of it this way as we unpack this series. We're focusing right now on the first advent, what he did when he showed up the first time. 
okay? So that's the first Advent promise, that he would be a wonderful counselor, that when he, when he walks on the earth, people will look at him and go, man, that is a source of wonderful counsel. And so when you read the Bible stories of how Jesus stood between a woman and her accusers, you see what a wonderful counselor does. When you see his compassion for the, the, the broken, the, the downcast, the ones who need healing, who need encouragement, like you see Jesus doing that, he's living out his role as a wonderful counselor. Um, I was reminded of, of a particular uh, place in Matthew by my counselor this past Friday. I was in a counseling session, and my counselor said, hey, let's just think about Matthew 9 for a minute. And so I want to read just a couple of verses here about Jesus' perspective as he walked the earth. It says in verse 35, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. That's what he was doing. When he saw the crowds, so just looking at a mass crowd of people, it invoked something in him. What did it invoke? He saw the crowds. He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's Jesus looking at a crowd of people and going, you all need help. You all are afflicted. You all have been harassed. You're like sheep without a shepherd. And it invoked compassion. And so we know that as Jesus walked the earth after his birth, he was a wonderful counselor. But today, 2023, we sit between Advents. His first coming, and we await his second coming. And so now we're going to ask the question, like, I didn't run into Jesus necessarily this week in human form, did you? I didn't get to experience that version of Jesus. And so how is Jesus a wonderful counselor to me and to you today? Like, even right now in this room, how is Jesus your wonderful counselor? So we'll be unpacking this now and walking through this. I'm going to read a couple of verses, one from Psalm 32. This is a promise from God. Verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Love this. So when you think about God as a counselor, he's not sitting in a room somewhere uh, meeting with people one after another like Pastor Nick does and you're just waiting in line, his eyes are actually on you. He's not waiting for you to show up and tell him about your week and unpack a story that he's not familiar with. Like, he counsels you from the perspective, like, no, I'm actually, I'm walking with you. I, I actually saw that, and I want to hear about it, but I want you to know I was with you. My eyes were on you, and out of that, he instructs us. James chapter 1, this is the New Testament, verse 5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let them ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. I love that, the way that's expressed. So James is saying, like, hey, if you find yourself in a situation you don't know what to do, God's made you a promise. Just ask him, and he will actually give you wisdom generously. But he does it how? Without what? Reproach. That means that when I go to God needing counsel or wisdom or direction, he's not irritated with me. He's like, I guess. I thought you'd have this down by now. Like, I actually showed you this two years ago. Like, 
No, he does it without reproach. He gives it generously. He's a good father, and he, he loves to give counsel. He loves to give instruction. He loves to give direction. Jeremiah 33.3, this is a popular verse that you may be familiar with. This is a promise from God to you. Call to me, and I will answer you, and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known or that you cannot see. Call to me, I'll answer you, and I'll show you what you don't know. I'll show you what you can't see. These are all beautiful promises in the Bible from God saying, hey, I want to counsel you. My eyes are on you. Call on me. I will answer. I will give generously without reproach, without rebuke, without correction. We're going to springboard now into the New Testament to begin to ask the question or answer the question, how then is God a wonderful counselor for you and me today? In John chapter 14, Shane read these verses. Uh, this is towards the end of Jesus' ministry, and he's let the disciples know, hey guys, I'm getting ready to head out. And they're kind of panicking. Whoa, 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 wait, we just, like, what do you mean you're leaving? This thing just got started. What do you mean you're leaving? He said, yeah, hey, don't, don't let your hearts be troubled. It's going to be okay. I have to go. But in my absence, I'm going to send somebody to you. In John 14, Jesus unpacks this. We'll start in verse 15, John 14, verse 15. He says this, first of all, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And this is a really important place to start understanding that God's counsel comes to us in written form. It's not the only source, but you have this enormous book of books. It's more like a library. This beautiful meta-narrative story of redemption that is full of counsel. Now, it can be intimidating. It can be hard to know where to go, and that's why we need guidance in reading God's Word. But to start with, God has given you what Jesus is referring to. If you'll, if you'll live by this, it'll go well for you. So he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. We'll stop there, and we'll come back to this. So as we just think about God's word as the source of counsel, I think about promises God has made. Uh, Psalms 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I can find direction in which way to go in life by reading your word. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 17 and 18 says, You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and the testimonies of his statutes which he commanded you. Now, I want to stop here because I'm addressing this book as a source of counsel. One of the misunderstandings, I think, that we have about the Bible is it's simply a list of things to do and not do. When we hear the commands, it feels kind of arbitrary, like God's kind of butting in, telling me what to do, and it's like, I can't, no, that's just too much, and I don't really want to hear one. But when we talk about the commands, what we have to understand is God is commanding you to life. Like, he's commanding you to abundant life. Like, his, his instructions are instructing and guiding you towards the best life you could have. So, actually, God's commandments are for you and for me. 
Right? So diligently keep the commandments of the Lord, his statutes, his testimonies, which he commanded you, verse 18. It's still in Deuteronomy 6. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give your father. So yes, there are instructions, there are commands, there is counsel in God's word, and what God is aiming at is your good. Now, far too often we come to the Bible believing we already know what our good is. That's how we approach our prayer time. That's how we approach our Bible reading time. I know what I need. I know what would be good for me. I just need you to show up and do it. Right? Now, nobody, well, maybe you say that, but none of us prays that way. Some of you, again, may do that, but we do pray that way with other words. God, here's what's wrong. Here's how I want you to fix it. Now, give me the patience to wait on you to do it the way I want you to do it. And we'll read the Bible that way, too. Like, oh, I'm reading counsel about what to do in this situation. You read it and go, no, nah, that can't be right. That doesn't say, I want to find some other, you know, we just flip, flip, flip till we try to find something that kind of meets our agenda. All of God's counsel is not aimed at your agenda. It's aimed at God's agenda, and God's agenda is for your good. Remember how I said we need an outside perspective to see what we can't see? Your best wisdom and guidance and counsel for yourself is what got you here today. Think about your hardest struggles in life right now. And you need help to get out of or past or through those hard things god is for you and his word is a source of counsel proverbs 3 says this my son do not forget my teaching but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you this is for your good i could exaggerate the point hey it's for your good that you don't murder your neighbor it's for your good that you don't take your neighbor's spouse to be your own, okay? You go, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Aren't you glad we have those commandments to, right, keep us going the right way in life? That's, that is the heart of God's commandments for you, to lead you towards what is good and right. But now I want to focus on what he says after that, that there's going to be a helper who comes. Verse, going back to John 14, verse 17 tells us who the helper is. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is the promise of the Holy Spirit of God for those who believe. The whole world doesn't know the spirit. The whole world doesn't have the spirit. But you in Christ have the spirit of God living in you. And so between advance between Jesus's first coming and his second coming we aren't left in no man's land we actually have the Holy Spirit now and what Jesus is saying is this is actually better I was thinking about why it's better and I don't fully know but I have this to say if Jesus were still living here on earth as one human in one place and one time how in the world would all of us get to him right you read these Bible stories, you're like, man, I want to have an encounter like that. I guess I need to have a pilgrimage to Jerusalem and go meet up with Jesus on the Sea of Galilee. And what Jesus is saying, this is actually better. I'm leaving, but the Holy Spirit, the helper, is coming, and he will dwell in all of you who believe. 
You don't have to travel to Israel. You don't have to run into me in Galilee or Bethlehem. You can actually have access to me in Fort Worth, Texas in 2023. And what he calls him is the, the helper. And this is a Greek word, parakletos. Um, it translates, depending on your translation, into different words. It, it means helper, advocate, comforter, or counselor. Okay? So that's the helper. He's going to come. He's going to help you. He's going to advocate for you. He's going to comfort you, and he's going to counsel you. So if we go back to what I said earlier, a counselor is this outside voice or perspective that is for your good. That fits the bill. The Holy Spirit is going to be a helper and an advocate and a counselor who is for your good. But I like what he said here. If we go back to Isaiah, he's not just going to be a counselor. He's going to be a wonderful counselor. Okay? Wonderful counselor. And this word in the Hebrew language means someone to marvel at. Someone who is wonderful. The root word is someone who does something in a distinct way that is different from. This counselor will be different from any other earthly counselor. He, in fact, will be wonderful, marvelous, incomprehensible, and is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is your wonderful counselor and he gives you help he gives you comfort he gives you counsel and according to john 14 let's read verses 25 and 26 jesus says these things i have spoken to you while i'm still with you but the helper the holy spirit whom the father will send in my name will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that i've said to you the holy spirit of god is going to work hand in glove with all the things God has said to us to both teach us and to help us remember. Thinking of a few other New Testament references, we aren't going to comprehensively look at the, you know, the entirety of the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, but just that's, that which is specific to counseling and guidance. I love what um, Paul writes about the Holy Spirit in Romans 8. So somewhere around verse 18 in Romans 8, Paul begins to talk about that suffering that I was talking about at the beginning of the suffering, how all humanity is born in, in, into suffering and all creation is groaning because something is not right here. And he says this in verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us, just like Jesus said he would. He helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And I love this because what Paul is saying about the Holy Spirit, not only is he our helper, but he will help you ask for help. And it's a question I've learned to ask of myself when I find myself in a struggle or stress or high emotion and stop and go, what do I actually need right now? When as a, as a grown adult, 47 years old, I'm just now learning how to pay attention. What is it I actually need right now? 
when I counsel with others, I, I try to help them get to that place of discovering what they need because most of us walk in, in ignorance to what we actually need. And what Paul is saying is you're going to find yourself in situations and struggle where all you can do is just groan. I don't even know what I need. And you can ask God to help you figure out what you need so then you can ask Him for what you need and the Holy Spirit will intercede for you. Will translate your groanings, your ugh, to the Father. This is what this one needs. Isn't that good news? I love that. It's the role of the Holy Spirit. I want to look at one last way that God brings counsel into our lives through His Word and through the Holy Spirit. And then I want to talk just practically about how to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is talking about his own struggle in the fallen world and how he needed help and how the help he got from God has helped him help others. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction. He's referring to the helper who comes, who groans for us, intercedes for us, comforts us, counsels us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort that, uh, with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Another source of counsel and comfort for your life is other believers. Okay, and we don't want to oversell the idea that, right, we don't want to put humans in the place of God, but God has designed Christian community in such a way where we need one another. We, we oftentimes in counseling will call this a trialogue. You know what a dialogue is, right? I talk, you talk, and we're having a conversation. But we, what we intentionally acknowledge is the role of the Holy Spirit. When two believers are talking, whether they're just sharing coffee and talking about life or you're in a counseling situation, the Holy Spirit of God is present. And it's a trialogue. You're, you're sharing with me and I'm hearing and the Holy Spirit is helping me hear what you're saying and see what's going on in you and I'm sharing from you what I'm hearing from Him and He's helping you hear me. And, isn't that beautiful? And Paul is saying, is like, hey, this comforter, this helper has come to me in, in moments of deep affliction has brought me comfort so that why? Now as a Christ follower, as a member of the church, I can also extend comfort to you. So I want to think about this, what we're learning today, and we'll talk practically in a minute around the voice of the Holy Spirit is this. In the, in the book of Isaiah, six centuries before Jesus is born in a manger, the prophet Isaiah says this. Here's one of the ways you're going to know this is him. The government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be to you a wonderful counselor. And then we read the Gospels and we see how Jesus fulfilled that prophecy over and over again. And then he died and he resurrected and ascended back to his rightful place at the right hand of the Father and he sent his Holy Spirit then to be our counselor until his second advent, until he returns. And God is providing counsel to you today not through his Son who took on flesh but through the counsel of his Word through the presence of his Holy Spirit that dwells in you if you are in Christ, 
and through other Christian voices in your life. God is guiding you, counseling you, comforting you, instructing you. So God today is still your wonderful counselor. We need to think about that this Christmas season. God is my wonderful counselor. We think about how then do we get to a place where we really could discern the counsel of God? Well, I'd say this first of all. Um, when, we, when we think about how do we discern the voice of the Holy Spirit, um, this is how I approach it. First of all, I have to acknowledge that there are a lot of voices speaking into my life at any given moment. I can be by myself in a room and hear voices of other people, influences, what they want for me. You follow me? I'm not talking about a psychological diagnosis of hearing voices, but like I think about what a, and I have a lot of people who, who provide counsel for me and speak into my life, the elder body, other pastors on staff here. I've got good friends, my wife. So I have a lot of voices. And so the, the first thing I have to do is I have to think about, well, what does it look like to turn down the voices that aren't helpful? Because not all those voices are helpful. None of the voices are really mean kids from junior high. Still in my head today. And I never know when they're going to show up and say something mean. I have the voices of really bad counsel. At one point in time, I thought, oh, that sounds good. I'm going to try that to get happy. And then it didn't work. And so like, I still have this kind of voice and influence in my life. So how do we turn down the, the volume on all those other voices? And then how do we turn up the volume on the Holy Spirit of God? So I want you to think that way. First of all, let's talk about how we turn up the volume of God's voice in our life. The first thing that I would encourage you to do is to have um, a relationship with his word. Okay? A relationship with his word. That way you'll know the kinds of things that God says. If the voice inside your head says you're a piece of trash and you should have known by now, how do you know if that's God's voice?